my goodness. It's just, oh, it's been a whirlwind. What with, uh, what, what uh, the, the snowstorms we've been having with Valentine's Day. Valentine's with, Day, the Oscars, it's award season. It's a shorter month as well. My goodness, Lucas, how do we find time to do it all? I don't know. It's let, let me tell you something. Pisces season has been crazy. Pisces season, it's been like a week, uh, and up is down, left is right. Okay, uh, cats is, and dogs living together. It's 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 bizarre world right now. So you said Pisces season on Twitter is like it, like everybody's wiling around now. Like what what does that mean? I'm not I'm not as into I, uh, I don't know. I just <laughs> uh, I said the same thing during Aquarius season. I think my new thing. Is just saying whatever uh, sign season it is has people going crazy until everybody chills out. You know what I mean? So that's that's the new thing I'm doing. I mean, I can't call you on it. And honestly, like there, it it sounds just professional or like just believable enough that I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. I, there might be something to that. I mean, I did, whether or not how much you put in astrology is one thing, but you know, I'm willing to say believe that that's something that people say if you just kind of throw it out there. So. Fair enough. So, Will, off the jump, before we get into it, yeah, uh, we gotta we gotta check back in with our own our old friend. He's a uh, a public invest uh, a private investigator. Excuse me. We have a private investigator friend. Uh, you and I both know him well. His name is Detective Pikachu. Pi. <laughs> uh, we we got the latest communique from our our good buddy, the detective. Uh, Mr. Reynolds himself with this new Detective Pikachu trailer. And I have to ask, Will, did you watch it? I did. I, uh, you see, I feel it's kind of my duty now, uh, because now at Patreon... It's, it's, pa- it's almost, this is a, a Arthur podcast first, but it's a Detective Pikachu hype podcast second. It's, uh, you know, now that our lovely patrons have gotten us to the tier where we are going to see Detective Pikachu and uh, are going to give our patrons a podcast about it, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits, I did feel like it was my duty to stay informed about the movie. So this time, instead of begrudgingly, I did watch uh, watch the trailer that came out today just uh, just a couple of hours ago. Uh, and what was, what was your... Uh, uh... How did you come down on it? What were your thoughts? So uh, something I've been seeing a lot of people talk about is how when when they've seen trailers or footage for Detective Pikachu, they kind of get this feeling of like this nostalgic feeling of like, this is what it was like when I was a kid and I was really excited to see this type of movie. You know, like a, you'd see a trailer in the 80s for like the Mario Brothers movie or Back to the Future or when we were kids seeing a trailer for like Space Jam or something. It didn't matter like the quality of the movie. It was just such a, such a spectacle and I think this time around I have a better appreciation for the fact that this is it's definitely not the first Pokemon movie but it's the first one of its kind and realizing that this is kind of coming full circle on something that we've all our generation has wanted to see since we were little kids and that's you know a real life representation of Pokemon something that I wanted to see when I was a kid so I think that helped me to put it in put it in a bit of a different mindset and uh, be a little bit more uh, open, open to it. I, I don't know if if my now, now are will so that's wrong. a very nuanced and well thought out. Uh, uh, I think I can tell you put a lot of thought and mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, into that take. Uh, I'll say this: 
there's no way this movie's going to be bad. In fact, I think this movie is, you could wrap up the 2018 Oscars just wrapped up. I think you could wrap up the 2019 Oscars because uh, this movie's going to get all of them. It's going to get all the awards. Uh, I'm looking at the trailer right now. There's a live action Ludicolo. So uh, I think a move over Citizen Kane, uh, Space Odyssey 2000 and what? Uh, Detective Pikachu is probably going to be uh, the greatest testament to the art of film uh, ever to uh, happen. Uh, I'm looking at this right now. It's just literally there's like a zero sub chance that this movie isn't. Oh, my goodness. You look at friggin uh, uh, Machamp and he's, you know, stopping traffic. There's no way this movie's bad. Yeah, uh, you and I seem to always cut a cut a good line between I'm more on the cautious optimism side. You are on the boundless optimism side, and so hopefully, I mean, I would love for this movie to be a grand slam, but uh, I'm kind of approaching it more, dipping my toe in the water. You are just jumping into the surf. Full. Well, they put Mewtwo in it. They did. Mewtwo's in the movie. Well, <laughs> they did do that. That's 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 pretty something. That's that's pretty spectacular. Uh, He's the one hundred and first Pokemon. Fifty one hundred fiftieth. One hundred fifty first. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Please, uh, edit that out. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're excited, and uh, I'm glad that we'll be talking about it. It's then that's not that far away. That's a couple of months. Like I. I, I know. I feel like last time we checked in with our old pal Ryan Reynolds and and the Detective Pikachu squad. Uh, it sounded like that movie was basically like it was so far away that I couldn't even conceptualize it. But now we're almost in the in the the spring, and that's when that movie's coming out. So exciting stuff. Um, that also leads me to something. So I kind of I think I posted this in the Elwood City Limits Discord, which if you're a patron subscriber, uh, you can get access to. I I was kind of thinking out loud about what our next kind of goal could be because we like we have a really long stretch goal of like 3000 if we get $3000 a month we'll buy virtualgoose.com cuz that URL is really really expensive uh but i but somebody i and i forget who it might have been crescent fresh on our discord uh suggested that we that our next goal should be uh, going to see the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, which is coming out later this year in November, I think. And I, I believe there's also going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog trailer that drops sometime this week. I think. Okay. I heard I heard murmurs. So. So maybe that maybe that'll be the next thing because that's that's another movie where like you'd kind of have to pay me to go see, especially once that trailer drops. Maybe we'll kind of wait and and uh, see what our reactions are to that because if it looks great, then I mean I don't feel right charging for that, but if it if it doesn't, if it's not on the level of uh, Lucas Mancini's view of Detective Pikachu, then uh, there's going to be need to be a little something-something to get me in that theater. <laughs> Welcome to Elwood City Limits, everybody. This is, this is, in fact, the episodic Arthur podcast, but, of course, we talk about a lot of stuff on here. My name's Will Young, and that is, of course, Lucas Mancini. Hello, hello. Feels like we've been absent for a little while, so I just want to put this again at the front of the podcast. Last week, we had a kind of special... Uh, first time ever mail uh, oops all mailbag episode oh i should have called it that oops all mailbag uh d- d- missed opportunity yeah, the mail the mailbag the podcast factory broke and <laughs> it's just mailbag um so that was because we actually recorded i actually recorded an episode on this Arthur episode that we're talking about today with uh, a former guest of ours Susan Velasquez uh uh, love Susan. She's uh, great to talk to. We recorded it, and unfortunately, 
we were not the the audio ended up being unsalvageable. It was pretty much unlistenable, and I could not think I could not think of any solution that would have made it better. So uh, once again, uh, Susan, very sorry that we weren't able to use your audio. I do apologize and apologize for the un the unscheduled interruption in our podcast schedule. So now Lucas and I are going to be talking about it. <laughs> I will say this up front as well. The other thing is that as soon as I finished that episode with Susan, I highlighted all of my notes and I pressed backspace and I don't have my notes for this episode anymore. So um, Lucas, not to blow up your spot or anything, but you, you're not so much a take notes kind of person. You kind of watch, uh, uh, watch the episode oh. and keep it in your brain, right? Oh, I take notes, but uh they're things like daily motion sucks ass <laughs> and uh I'm DW, I'm 4. So, uh they're not necessarily play I I feel like, you know, I'm the uh uh you're you're the Kevin Kelly and I'm the uh uh Steve uh uh Carino? Uh, Steve Carino of 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 the the Elwood City Limits podcast. So so, so kind of this pl- episode might be a little a little loose, a little uh, it's like uh, it's gonna be like jazz. You know what I mean? It's about um, it's about it's about the Arthur episodes we're not talking about. Ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> um, so I got the episode playing here on silent. Uh, hopefully that'll help with a little bit of the play by play, but. Uh, hopefully the, you folks at home watch the episode, and if you didn't, well, we're, we're trying our best here. Um, extenuating circumstances. For uh, sure. And uh, and once we get into more so Arthur and Los Vecinos, uh, the reason I wanted to talk to Susan is because she is Mexican-American, and she did have some, unfortunately, very interesting thoughts about that episode and uh, uh, some great observations on PBS in general in terms of their representation of uh, Latin American culture. And I, I really feel bad that I lost that audio. I'll try to represent it as best I can and note when I'm using kind of Susan's thoughts uh, because I think that she really added to the conversation a lot. But yeah, let's so let's get into it a little bit. I don't really have a jumping off point written down in front of me. It's it's all, uh, we're live here, folks. So uh, it's it starts with the Buster Zone is what it starts with. That's right. We're taking a trip into the Buster Zone. The boy who cried, Comet. Uh, Arthur is giving the cold open in the style of uh, the opening to the Twilight Zone, and it's like a Twilight Zone parody, um, which is kind of uh, again. It's been a while since I think Arthur's predicted the future, uh, but the Twilight Zone's coming back, right, with Jordan Peele, and and it's it's going to be a CBS uh, whatever their streaming service is called exclusive. Uh, so. Uh, Twilight's own in the cultural zeitgeist right now. That's right. Um, that, and so that's... he describes all these supernatural uh, kind of uh, uh, extraterrestrial events, Mr. Rappard being an alien, uh, Mr. Haney being a robot. Uh, and I really appreciated this. I, I mean, I'm a Twilight Zone fan myself, um, but I thought this this uh, cold open was just weird enough and kind of a, a tasteful homage to the, the Buster Zone. Um and it had me already. I had completely forgotten about this episode, so it had me intrigued from the jump. Uh, what was your take, Will? So, I mean, I, I I thought it was a very interesting way to begin the episode, and of course, nobody, no character is more related to uh, high as high concept science fiction than Buster is. But my first thought was actually to the more modern take on the Twilight Zone, which is Black Mirror, 
And uh, Susan and I talked about this a little bit about how b- these days Buster would probably watch Black Mirror and probably believe a little bit too much of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, rightly so because Black Mirror is basically coming uh, uh, coming to life. Uh, I mean, have you have you kept up with the news about like Huawei Huawei phones? Huawei? I don't know how to spell it, but uh, no, uh, no your, your phone's listening to you, Will, whether you like it or not. Well, and um, I, well, I mean, those those darn kids are always on on their cell phones. Those are the re- those are the real black mirrors, aren't they? Haven't what? you ever seen that that tw- uh, that tweet? That's like every episode of Black Mirror. It's like, oi, me phone's evil. <laughs> yes, I have. I'm pretty sure. I, I, uh, I feel like I've seen several variations on that observation. And you know, no shade to Black Mirror. There are some really good episodes of it. But uh, when it's and I and you might be able to say this at the Twilight Zone as well. I'm not as well versed in that one but it's like when when the episode's good it's great when it's not good it's like not very good i mean the the twilight zone like black beer's oimi phones evil is the twilight zones i woke up and everybody was different and i was still the same Mm -hmm. uh that's basically uh so they both have their formulas but i mean for the time like twilight zone is like super like uh, 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 instrumental and ahead of its time and, and groundbreaking. Um, speaking of favorite characters, we start off the episode with Fern, yeah. who I feel like we, we haven't seen in a really long time. I don't think she's had a single episode to herself this season. Uh, and I was kind of disappointed because this episode kind of starts off with her and we don't, she just kind of bookends the episode, mm. uh, giving us some setup about, uh, uh, the situation that's going on pointing out that, like, everything's off with Arthur. His socks don't match. His tag's outside of his shirt. Um, she, sure lo- Bust- she sure locks him. Yeah, yeah. She- oh, jeez. Yeah, she... she uh, luckily, sans, like, some editing with, like, text flying over the screen. Uh, 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 she sure locks him and points out all this stuff that's 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 wrong. Uh, Buster enters the fray, uh, and he's all fire in the sky, He's talking about how he was abducted by aliens or that he saw an alien last night, a UFO outside his room. Um, and, and it's like, a t- uh, it's like a tale that grew in the telling because he's like, well, originally it's like, I just saw a UFO and then he saw multiple UFOs and then no wait, I was actually abducted and taken to, this was, this was actually very Twilight Zone as well, uh, taken to a, an alien zoo where he was essentially put up in like a polar bear habitat with like a lounge chair and uh, food and a TV and kids like threw stuff at him and laughed at him all day. It was really high concept, like especially it's kind of creepy. Like the the alien animals um, in the like the the space zoo uh, are not like your typical Arthur aliens, like the ones that stole the W snowball. They're like rats, but with no pupils. Uh, uh, it's they're they're really creepy to look at. Um, I don't know if you paused at the zoo section, but there's a couple Easter eggs. Like Santa Claus is in the zoo. Okay. Uh, this whole zoo part is again, like I said, really high concept. It reminded me of uh, like Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, because uh, I was thinking of like space zoos and popular culture. That was the only thing I could recall. Um, but yeah, cool, cool little imagination sequence there. Uh, really uh, crazy. So to uh, prove his point. That he actually did see a UFO because none of the kids are believing. The kids are able to kind of see through Buster making up this story as he goes along. Um, he borrows a telescope from Muffy. Well, uh, and before we get to that, I wanted to talk to you about 
Uh, because of course Arthur and Fern, you know, they're doing this at Brain's mom's ice cream shop at this point. They don't believe him, but then but then old Brain comes in and he's like, um, well actually, and we get we get Brain as the real Neil deGrasse Tyson cipher here. This 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 is not a good Brain episode. Uh, this really does not put him in a position where I like him. And like, don't get me wrong, Brain's you know he's refuting Buster. And I believe he might he said he says later in the episode he's just like uh, when people like people who believe in UFOs make all these weird theories and they don't pay attention to science or whatever. But he's also going about it in a very smug and smarmy fashion, if you ask me. It's interesting because uh, there was a moment in this episode where I kind of switched. Usually I'm like staunchly anti well actually brain, um, but, but but there's a moment later on in this episode uh, to. Uh, uh, where I, I, I kind of, I'm on Brain's side, uh, and, and I kind of empathize with Brain's position, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but yeah, so Brain is, like, shutting down everything that Buster's putting forward, um, so he gets this telescope from Muffy to try and prove, uh, his point, and, and say that he did, in fact, see a UFO. Some assembly required, there's all these weird component names they're reading off. Um, when they're building the telescope. It made me wonder if these are just like... Because eventually later on in the episode, we realize that this isn't just a regular, regular telescope. Like, this telescope's pretty technologically advanced. It could take pictures. Uh, it could geolocate and do the math of... There's kind of an onboard computer with the telescope. It could figure out the... Uh, the, the directory of a this is un, a, this is unlike any telescope I've ever encountered. This is like high. This is highest of high tech. Like, can they even do that today? Like, can you buy a telescope that like gives you readouts? Uh, has like a computer basically installed in it? I can't imagine. Um, but they do like have the little piece of dialogue to write this away, where it's like, well, it's something Muffy bought. So it's like I'm sure like. This is some experimental, like, Elon Musk technology that <laughs> right. only Muffykins can get. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, they're looking at the telescope, and I, I wrote down, I had a note here that, um, well, actually, so first off, Arthur gets kind of bored. Um, he's too impatient to look at the stuff that Buster's looking at. Um, so Buster's kind of left up looking at the telescope by himself. Uh, and then I wrote down that, like, Episodes like this kind of give kids an unrealistic expectation of the power of telescopes. Like, I specifically remember as a kid, like, stuff with telescopes and microscopes in it. Um, I always thought that, like, if you looked at a microscope, um, it'd be like, oh, I could see the little amoebas moving around, mm -hmm. which, um, yeah. once I got to, like, grade 10 science, I was woefully disappointed, and it just kind of looks like a blob. And the, the same is, the, I, I mean, I, I'm not super experienced with telescopes, but I, I can't imagine um, the, the Buster's getting a very close look at the International Space Station here, so yeah. much so that he can see the the people from the different countries playing cards. He's got like the uh, he's got the shotgun mic that can actually hear. Them oh yeah, in, yeah. In, in I the forgot space. that the telescope can let him hear them too. And he threes net go fish. <laughs> and of course, yeah, Buster loses the screw, the the all important singular screw that is going to inform the rest of his findings this episode. So. I mean, I don't know exactly how that works, but the, to your point, Lucas, I've never really been around a telescope, so who's to say? So anyway, uh, Buster gets these like readouts. He, he's able to print pictures of things he spotted with the telescope, uh, and he keeps bringing them to Brain as, as proof of alien life. Again, um, again, one of them is Jew. Again, this amazing advanced technology <laughs> where like these these unbelievably quality pictures in like the year 2000 this is really something else like they spared no oh, expense 
Will, this is definitely 2001, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, oh, but okay. I can say unequivocally that this episode takes place in 2001. All right. Uh, which I believe it was his, its original uh, uh, air date as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, there's a picture of Jupiter, uh, a picture of uh, like a fly's leg, which Buster's certain is an alien. Um, now this is where sort of, I kind of empathize with brain because Buster is like kind of hounding brain at this point. Like yeah. he keeps asking him, brain is saying, I don't know if brain's being hyperbolic, but brain says every five minutes, Buster's sort of coming to him with new evidence of aliens. And so brain kind of pulls a Google it, honey, where it's like, it's not <laughs> my job to inform you, sweetie. Like he, he yeah. tells, uh, uh, Buster to read the book about, um, uh, uh, basically space himself. Yeah, astronomy. Um, astronomy. I see. I got the Pisces season on the brain. I keep <laughs> almost saying astrology, and I'm like, which one's the real one? Um, yeah, we shouldn't. We, yeah, we, I shouldn't have started off by asking that question. Now we're just both gonna get confused here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Buster does all of the calculations. Like he notices something that he initially is like, ah, it's probably nothing. Uh, but he finds out it's actually a comet, and he traces its uh it's kind of trail for several days then inputs the data into the computer and the computer says that it will collide with earth in like 30 something days and uh, this is where buster goes off the deep end as only he can from this point on i think this is where the real magic of this episode happens because we have this incredible scene where uh buster's talking to his mom and he asks i'm laughing just thinking about it i felt i got a really big kick out of this um buster's talking to his mom about uh what would happen if a comet hit and his mom basically describes like the heat death of the universe it's yeah. like oh well it'd be a second it, as casual as it would be if he had asked her what the weather is going to be the next day she's like oh well well it would be a second ice age some people <laughs> think that that's what killed all the dinosaurs yeah and, um and this and is buster's no selling of the fact that as far as he's concerned, the world's going to end in 30 days. Like Buster's reaction is, is incredible here. I, I, I agree. And he like, eventually he's, you're right. He's no selling it on the surface, but then he's like, uh, putting his spoon in the oven. He's, uh, putting the rest of his jello in the fridge. And, and instead of good night, mommy, he's like night. Good army. Like his brain is broken. He puts on his pajamas oh. backwards. And I there's feel like compl- there's a, there's a moment just as he's taking his empty bowl of jello and he's walking towards the screen, like the dead eyes that Buster has. And he's like, I think I'm going to go to bed. Like, he's just like, he's trying to no sell in front of his mom, but like internally, like he's like freaking out. And it's like, it's not a, uh, it's not a, a vibe we've really seen from Buster yet. Like it's a very unique performance here in the way he's animated and the way the voice actor is delivering the lines of like, okay, he puts his bowl back in the, in the fridge and then he puts his spoon in the garbage. And then he's like, he's just like, I'm walking towards, don't worry about me. I'm walking towards my room. Uh, I I just can't believe that like Bitsy wouldn't know her son well enough to like, not be so flippant about like potential cataclysmic results. Like even if he's just asking hypothetically, like you got to know that he is going to be obsessed about this. And it's just, it's just the way he is. He's going to immediately, uh, just, immediately head to the doomsday scenario. I also got to ask, well, like, let's say Buster's right. Cause with all the data we have here, if you didn't know about the screw, you would assume that Buster is actually correct. And a meteor is on a collision course, a, a comet's on a collision course with the planet. Um, are these the highest stakes we've ever seen in an episode of Arthur? 
Like Could literally, be. we're talking about g- global a global catastrophe. Um, you know, I, there was when Pal was going to get sent off to a farm to die. That w- those were pretty high stakes. Um, I'm trying to think of some other like uniquely high stake episodes. There was uh, there's one episode where they possibly get eaten by a bear at the end, and it's kind of left up to the imagination. Uh, yeah, like their li- like their lives are on the line. But this th- this is potentially the lives of everybody on Earth. <laughs> Yeah, so this is like Armageddon, like Bruce Willis, like these these are the highest stakes we've ever seen from Arthur. And Buster's like reacting accordingly as he puts his shirt on backwards and is sort of uh, uh, chanting to himself, "The comet is coming, the comet is coming." And, and like, it's so it's so kind of like ominous, and I I love this. And we get this dream sequence here, and this is like I'm very I I was very happy to speak with Susan, but this I kind of felt I really wanted to know your thoughts on this because we seem to have ourselves a little bit of a tradition. First, it was the representation of President Bill Clinton so in, in the I, White House. I and um, Will, I, yeah. I remembered Slick Willie showing up in an episode of Arthur. That is something from my childhood. For sure. When, when I saw this next scene, I literally, I was watching this in the common area of my college, and I gasped out loud from, from like, like I was like, okay, when I saw what was getting set up, I was like, they're going to do one of two things. It's just going to be Bill Clinton again. Or it's going to be uh, – because sometimes they'll have, like, one of the Arthur characters, like Francine or Muffy or, or, or Arthur be grown up, and they've grown up to become the president. The last thing I expected was newly elected President George, George w, w. Bush, Bush. as an Arthur character. Uh, George W. Bunny. That's how that's how he's re- represented here. <laughs> and. And so yeah, they, what do you think? What, what do you think about being my VP? <laughs> and, and we do even get like a Sam Rockwell style performance of just he turns around to his seat and just like we gotta call us Bionic Bunny. <laughs> like it's 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 different than it's different than the Bill Clinton, which we both fa- thought sounded like kind of like Hank Hill, and this is definitely just like as Texan as it gets, like Bionic Bunny. Bionic Bunny. <laughs> what do you what do you think about getting Bionic Bunny on the on the campaign? <laughs> Um, no, this is so. This is in, incredible. Uh, and so they call Bionic Bunny to, in this fantasy sequence to uh, stop the meteor. He grabs it by its like flame trail, which uh, you know Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, come on the pod. I, I think the science of this is, is questionable. <laughs> um, but yeah, this dream sequence ends with Bionic Bunny failing. And the meteor, like, again, going towards... I wonder what kids thought of this Arthur episode. Because I know, like, weird things scared me when I was a little kid. As an adult, I think this is really kind of awesome uh, Mm -hmm. uh, how high the stakes are. But, like, from the alien zoo to, like, literally, like, as calamity... Like, a a world-ending event. These are things that are pretty scary to little kids. Um, So, even real or not, I wonder how they dealt with, like, some of the more... uh, adult concepts of this episode i know i appreciated them but uh, well, i'd be I, I wonder how kids would react well i think at least that you can you can assume that they will make the uh like because when i was a kid watching this you can you can make the kind of leap of just oh it's just buster having a nightmare it's like this isn't really happening not all of our beloved childhood characters are going to die in a fiery apocalypse it's it's just it's uh, again just a, though was, i i didn't put through and through together that the uh the screw missing was what was making the computer misread the comet so at this point not having remembered this episode i wasn't sure i like obviously i know that 
there wasn't going to be a real comet and the world was going to end. But with all the information I had going forward, uh, I kind of assumed like Arth Buster was right at this point. So mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy when you think about it that way. Um, Buster's sort of he's got his Vince Coleman moment right now where <laughs> he uh, is is running around the school with a, a bike helmet on trying to warn everybody that a meteor is coming. Um, I guess for our American listeners, a chicken little moment. Come um, on, Buster! Come on! <laughs> if you're, if you're there American, are five, there are five hundred list- students in in, a- in Lakewood Elementary. I've got to save them. Uh, if you're American and you're listening to this and you want to know about literally the most important thing that's ever happened to me and Will's town. Uh, you should uh, look up Vince Coleman uh, Canadian History Minute on YouTube. The Halifax, uh, it, the Halifax explosion, it was called yes, over the a Halifax hun- explosion over a hundred years ago now. Uh, the largest man-made explosion prior to Hiroshima. Um. Anyway, um. So no so, one's believing Buster. Uh, Fern uh, uh, is guessing that he's just l- lost his mind, um, for lack of a better term. Uh, he's un- so- he's he's unstable like Dean Ambrose. Yes, he's he's the he's truly on the lunatic fringe. He enlists Brain because <laughs> he knows that uh, everybody will trust Brain uh, if 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 Brain this oh my gosh this episode it truly is like the framing device of it being a Twilight Zone episode is uh, pretty on the nose because this episode does not go the way I thought it was going to because we get uh, uh, Brain goes up into the treehouse uh, Buster sort of gathers all of his friends t- to meet at the treehouse in the middle of the night when it's cold outside and uh, a Brain confirms Buster's readings uh, Brain is like yeah Buster's right the world is going to end the meteor's yeah. coming right for us uh, and- everybody's freaking out and running in circles Buster's happy just because he was proven right um, and then like Fern so, finds the screw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and sort of the rest of the story is kind of told in flashback of Fern explaining to Arthur and NDW that she sort of blew the case wide open. Yeah. Um, everybody was, was making assumptions, but once again, Fern has figured it out. Uh, they, yeah. They, then, they, they take a bit of a turn over to the, to the sugar bowl where Fern is relating this story. And then uh, Buster and brain come in because they actually, uh, <laughs> Susan made the point of uh, this is, this is pure nepotism right here. Buster makes the front page again for <laughs> discover. And it's called the, the headline is local cat saver discovers comet. And just like, yeah, geez, wonder who, wonder who wrote that headline. Eh, Bitsy. And then, I, 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 I do like the, the continuity with bringing up the cat saver again, though. And, uh, and I did and I did also like uh, Brain says, they got my name wrong. They called me the Bran. Which is extra bad of Britsy because it's like it's her son's it's friend. It's her son's like, you'd, friend. You met think... it before. Uh, but then we have, so again, I talked about how this episode uh, contained the highest stakes of mm-hmm. any Arthur episode ever. I also think we've come on come down on the weirdest ending in any Arthur episode ever. Not since we watched um, uh, a, that, a louse draw head, his head last breath. Die. Yeah, no, I thought that was the weirdest ending or maybe the ending where they possibly got eaten by a bear. Uh, but then we sort of have our Men in Black 1 moment where we realize we're not watching actors at we're not watching Arthur at all. We're watching a show being put on by aliens um, all the Arthur characters removed their like latex heads, and they're aliens on a set. 
this isn't the, the Arthur gang in the Sugar Bowl. They're filming some sort of alien television show and see, uh, and on see, the moon. And see, this might have scared me when I was younger. Like, uh, it's insane, like, like, Will. It's, 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 like, it's, it's nuts. It's literally the Arthur characters pulling off of their faces and their aliens underneath. And you could make the assumption that, like, this is what it's always been. Arthur is I'm a saying. television like, show you, made by you aliens. If you consider this episode canon, yeah. Um, Every single episode of Arthur is a bunch of aliens wearing masks putting on a TV show, which is absolutely like to consider this. We have to reevaluate this entire podcast. <laughs> like but I'm it... surprised people don't talk about this all the time. Like I'm surprised with all the Arthur memes that we haven't gotten down to the boy who cried comments ending because it's literally like this is like the level of what was that show where the whole show was in a kid's dream the whole time? Like, that Oh, uh, St. Elsewhere. Yeah. This is like St. Elsewhere levels or like Roseanne is in a coma levels of like, you have to literally reevaluate the context of this entire show. If you're going to take this episode as Canon. Yeah. Imagine if this was like the series finale for, for all I know, it could be, I don't know. Yeah, It's like in camp Laszlo in the last episode, when you realize the camp counselor has actually not been a camp counselor the whole time. And he like, kidnapped the real camp counselor and stole his identity it's like if this was the last episode of arthur it would be in like a ton of youtube videos that are like craziest cartoon endings but you know what this also uh, like while i was talking about this with susan i kind of made made the leap that i think you already have of just like the book ending in this episode is that it is an, an edition of the buster zone Yes. Which, which instead of like, instead of just being a cute opening, like is actually a storytelling method on the show, which I don't know if we ever come back to it again, but I would kind of love it if we had like every season we had one, the Buster Zone episode and oh it's like Ar- an, an Arthur I would, Twilight I Zone. personally would adore that. Like, yeah. It's so it, up my alley. And, and it's, it's more than the bookends too. Like it does very much follow um, the sort of formula of a Twilight Zone episode in that, like, everything's normal at the start, and by the third act, everything's, like, really been ratcheted up and is starting to get crazy. And by the very end, like, the climax, you're like, oh, everything I thought was a lie, and it's actually like this. Um, so, in, in, as an homage, it's it's extremely effective. And in fact, like, I, I found myself wondering, like, why did we have postcards from Buster? We should have just done the Buster Zone. As its own um, TV show, that would be great. I, I tend to agree. I think that would be that would have been an improvement. I don't want to disparage the good name of Postcards from Buster, uh, but I, I can't imagine it was as good as the Buster Zone. Yeah, don't worry. Um, we'll, we'll get we'll get we'll get there very soon. Sooner than you think, we'll get there. Uh, and that and that bafflingly is the end of that episode. And now, a word from us kids. That's right. You thought we were going to say a word from us, because this is usually where we take our mid-show break. But uh, because we were watching this episode on Daily Motion, uh, this is uh, we actually got treated to uh, a clip of word from us kids, which I haven't seen in like two seasons. It's been a while. Um, it's been a long while. Unfortunately, and... not a lot to talk about with this word from us kids. It's just nah. kind of uh, kids going to an observatory at Brown uh, at Brown University. They went. Which is in uh, Ro- uh, Rhode Island, I believe, or possibly Maryland. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, they go to the, that giant giant observatory. Uh, ha- I don't believe I've ever been to an observatory. Have you? No, I, I don't think I have either. I mean, I've seen La La Land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I also I also had the point here that um, 
just kind of like seeing all the kids talking about like what people do at the observatory. They look in the giant telescope and all this kind of thing. Like it really made me think of, I remember when, uh, when Jen and I were going through Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, and you know, at, at some point we asked ourselves like, okay, like if we do have the Star Trek future where, you know, there's no more money and people only work for like the good of, working you know what i mean like nobody has to work but people choose to like that's why people choose to go on like starfleet and all that kind of stuff like what would you want to do and my my personal question was like i don't want to work so i don't know uh but this reminds me of like very much a star Trek. i would ju- i would just for everybody to just to make everybody yeah. clarify, i would uh be one of those people that upload those top 1001 anime opening videos on YouTube. Mm. Uh, I don't know how those people find the time uh, uh, with full-time jobs. I assume that that's not all they do, but if I had infinite time, that's what I would become, is one of those people. I There's specifically a Brazilian guy that I follow on YouTube that uploads those like top 100 anime opening videos. Um, and that's that's how I would spend my post currency time. Oh, it's a real it's a real public service, I must say. Um, but it, this reminded me of like I I don't really know what it's like to be an astronomer or like to run an like a lookout like that one. But it just seems to me like one of those jobs that it's so pure. It's like working at a nonprofit or like at a library or something. Like I'm sure there's all kinds of like paperwork and drudgery to it that we just don't know. But from the outside, it's just like, it's if you really love astronomy, you really love space and the stars and like calculating all that kind of stuff. Like it just seems like such a, a good pure job. One that, one that capitalism hasn't touched. Uh, in the words of, uh, one of the kids from this words from us kids, uh, the moon. <laughs> All right. And now a word from us adults. Hi there, Elwood City Limits listener. Just a quick note here from your buddy, your pal, Will Young, that this show is supported by all of you listeners just like you by the following ways. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Instagram at Elwood City Limits. Drop us a line on social media. We'd love to hear from you and give us a like, a heart, whatever it is. Email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can get your email read here on the air. Just send it to us and uh, let us know what you think of the episode, of the show, of anything in particular that we might have talked about or that's on your mind. And you can find the podcast by going to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com and you can find it at your local podcast provider. Now, if the show is not on a service that you use all the time and you'd like to change that, make sure to drop us a line and we will get it on there as soon as as possible. All right, let's get back to the episode now, already in progress. And we're back. All right, so uh, we go from the interstellar, like the out of this world um, wildness, to Arthur and Los Vecinos, decidedly more, um, d- more grounded, let's say, and. Uh, well, I, I I do wonder, Lucas. Uh, d- is there any particular uh, way that we want to remember here in the cold open, Mister Sipple? So, unfortunately, so I was I've I've thought about this, Mister um, Sipple. 
usually would be disqualified from being throwaway character of the week because he actually has appeared in more than one episode. Yep. And therefore, is it a throwaway character? But the show is literally throwing him away <laughs> as he is moving away, probably to never be seen again. Um, so I think honor, this is like a, uh, it's like when the Oscars gives a Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, Mr. Sipple, a Lifetime Throwaway Character of the Week Award uh, has earned. Um, goodbye and- to Mr. Sipple. Uh, and now I want to get into this. So I have a fan fan theory about where Mr. Sipple is moving to. Okay. Um, I have a, I have a think I have a feeling that Mr. Sipple is a Scientologist, uh, and what? that's that's why he's so obsessed with like nautical stuff. What are you? Is because he's what? he's in the uh, uh, like I don't know how much you how many Scientology documentaries you've watched. I well, can't but... say I can't say I can't say too many. Okay, maybe, they're maybe way one. into wearing like. Uh, uh, navy uniforms and like there's a lot of like nautical like uh, imagery and like symbology in Scientology because like L. Ron Hubbard was way into like running houseboats and and maritime law and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think Mr. Sipple is trying to get his the- his thetan levels up, uh, <laughs> and he's he's going clear, um, and that's why he's he's uh, vacating the premises and and moving away. Well, uh, this uh, I, I I liked this cold open a lot because, like you said, Mister Sipple has been in like maybe two or three episodes, and entirely as a background character, like a uh, like a one a one gag character. And here we get like what it's like to have Mister Sipple as a neighbor. And you're right; he's very into nautical themed things. Like he wears he likes barbecuing fish. He it's, so when he's barbecuing fish, Arthur like remembers like waking up in the middle of the night. He's barbecuing fish. Mr. Sipple sees him at his window and he picks up one of the fish and goes, how about a little midnight snapper lad? <laughs> Which is my line of the episode. I, <laughs> I, 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 I howled at that line. Uh, he's also singing what I found out to be. So DW's crazy bus is interrupted by Mr. Sipple singing in the shower. It's a sea tune called uh, Jack was every inch a sailor. And it turns out that it originates from Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh, whoa. Uh, oh, that's, na- na- that's, that's so cool. Almost neighboring province to us here. Uh, Maybe Mr. Sipple, like, I wonder what else does he know? Does he know, like, Heave Away? Does Does Mr. Sipple know about the Rattlin' Bog? I, I, I gotta believe that he that he's seen Great Big Sea in concert. I mean, yeah, like, Mr. Sipple, that's where he's going. He's going to the tree and the hole and the hole in the bog and the bog down in the valley Um <laughs> He's on his way there now. Uh, and so he's a little weird, but, uh, as a parting gift, he gives DW and Arthur Thelma, which is one of those, uh, like, uh, those fish that are on those, like one of those robot fish that like sings a song and it sings, row, row your boat. I want to, I gotta, uh, I gotta say, Will, as far as uh, you know, I've never been a guy who's like, I'm not big into carrot top. I'm not big into Gallagher. I kind of think most prop comedians are hacks, but something that's always going to be funny, no matter what the context is, those robotic fish. Like they're just hilarious. Well, and I want it to be one of the cursed ones that you see on YouTube. Those are the funniest ones for me of just, uh, you know, row, row, row your boat gently down the street. Aim, you know, like get really wild with it. But no, it's it's perfectly functional. In fact, the W uh takes it on as her pet, even though it's not real. Uh, and, and Arthur's like, it's not a pet. It's a it's like a a singing fish. And DW says, you're just jealous because you have to walk your pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also begin the episode in earnest with a staring contest between Arthur and DW. Did you have you noticed that DW is real has a really good win loss record against Arthur, like in everything? 
Like a, a common storytelling device is Arthur doesn't want DW to tell everybody that she beat him at something. Like it well, happens you, a lot. You know, that actually gets addressed later on in this episode. What do you think about it? Mm. Um, I will say this. DW has a great line, and this one specifically is for adults. Uh, I barely caught on to this, but she refers to herself as the stair master, which is yeah. like a really subtle joke. Um, so as after the staring contest, Arthur notices that, uh, pal is uh, interacting with a dog they haven't seen before. Uh, and it turns out that it's, uh, Amigo who is the dog of the, uh, oh my gosh, La- their last name. Oh my goodness. See, this is why, this is why Will takes the notes is cause I write down stuff like the dog is so cute. Uh, not important pertinent information like, what is this family's name? Uh, to the Arthur Wiki, I go. Yeah, sorry do, about that. It's you know, I, I watched this episode less than a week do, ago, so you you think I'd re- you'd think I'd remember. And I, mean, I, remember, I watched the episode today. I mean, I remember most of their first names. In fact, I remember pretty much all their first names, but their last name is escaping me right now. New neighbors, the Molinas. The Molinas. Thank you very much. The Molinas family. The Molinas, yes. Uh, so they are their new neighbors. They meet uh, Ramon, who is the father, and he invites them over. He mentions that he has a daughter named Visita, who is three and a half. And we get DW's kind of uh, character moment for this episode where she is uh, able to lord the fact that she's six months older than Visita. And it's just like, a, she's going to need somebody to show her the ropes. Yeah, she uh, says three and a half. I remember when I was that age. So innocent. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's pretty funny. And uh, they also have an older uh, an older son, Alberto, who is 13. And Arthur notes that he is five years, old, five years older than him. Uh, so they, at this point, uh, they're pretty much going to go over to have dinner with them at some point. Uh, Arthur and Buster are watching Alberto from Arthur's room, and they notice that he's doing kendo, which is uh, the Japanese art of stick of stick fighting, to put it in very, very white terms. Yeah. Um, which, you might have seen uh, the Sandman yeah. <laughs> do some ken- kendo. That's the first or, thing I think... Uh... That's the first thing I think of when I think of kendo. I always wanted to. I always wanted to do kendo when I was younger. I was it because it, of the? Was it because of the Sandman? And, it was uh, no, no. Actually, it was because of Cody in Digimon Adventure Zero Two, the second oh. season of Digimon. He and his well, even he and his cooler. <laughs> he and his grandfather do kendo, and I always thought that looked kind of cool. Um, you know, it's not like you know karate or kung fu that involves your whole body. It's almost. It is more like sword fighting. Um, um, so uh, DW is sort of imagining uh, the life she'll have with Visita about how uh, uh, she'll be able to lord over the fact that she's older for once. Um, and she kind of sums it up when she says she'll talk and walk and she won't live in my room. Uh, comparing so be- her so to better Kate. than better than Kate. Yeah, but I, I, but but this imagination sequence you see Visita sort of like DW teaching her how to ride a bike and and DW teaching her how to blame her brother for stuff. Yeah. Um, I wanna I wanna just actually go back to the scene of Arthur Arthur and Buster watching Alberto. There's a couple of things here I want to take note of. Um, this is probably a good time to bring in one of Susan's uh points that I really. Uh, enjoyed hearing from her when we first recorded. So she was talking about how um, PBS in general uh, has had pretty decent to good representation of of Latinx families uh, over 
over its history, especially when she was a kid. So not just here in Arthur, they had shows like Dragon Tales and Maya. I, I was going to say, ev- literally everything I know about the Spanish language, and this is no exaggeration, like everything I know about Spanish, I know from Dragon Tales. And I'm like Canadian. We live as pretty much, you know, here in, in, in Nova Scotia, where we're from, it's we don't have the same kind of connection to uh, Spanish and, and uh, Hispanic culture as a lot of people in the states do because mm-hmm. we don't border Mexico like they do. So um, you know, a lot of our shows, the the way they would be like a, a a character that is represented by that, they would be represented by like a French character, or we would learn about mm-hmm. the French language on Canadian TV. Uh, but because I watched so much PBS as a kid, and because PBS is American, like I'll. I, I learned a little bit of Spanish, uh, and it's purely from shows like uh, Dragon's Tales. Dragon Tales, uh, Mayan Miguel was another one that she uh, that she noted there, and there have been other examples. I'm afraid I, I can't remember them exactly, but PBS has had has had good representation of that culture, and that continues here. And I think it's appropriate in Arthur, of course, which is all about representing people of different walks of life. Um, I I wanted to talk about it here because uh, Susan also mentioned that you know. Uh, the fact that Alberto and his family are not, like, stereotypical. Like, it's interesting that Alberto practices kendo, which is, like, a Japanese martial art, and not, like, you know, they're they're rarely, if if ever, like, you know, stereotypically Spanish or uh, they're, uh, they're from Ecuador. So, you know, there's nothing that really, no, no real big signifiers that they, but there are, like, influences of how those characters act Uh, towards other people that does lay that groundwork and of course we see that throughout the episode so it's a very good uh light touch and this is and this is kind of susan saying not not just not just old white me but uh i was really interested to hear that uh from susan i'm glad that it kind of put that across the other thing here in this scene i want to talk about is that arthur he says that like they're watching alberto they think he's kind of cool but then arthur is immediately like uh, he probably not wants nothing to do with me. He's 13. There's no way he'd want to hang out with me, which I thought was very, very mature of Arthur. When I was Arthur's age and I would hang out with my cousins who were like five to seven years older than me, I thought they were the coolest people alive and I wanted to be around them all the time. I was not cognizant of the fact that the, probably the last thing I wanted to do was hang out with a little kid. Well, I mean, don't speak too soon, right? Because Arthur kind of fits that mold uh, later on in the episode. That's true. When, but when, uh, it, when he sort of lets his guard down and when they go over to the family's house. Wh- when he takes when he takes a dispassionate view of it, like it's 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 incredible how like right on he is about like just trying to stay out of Alberto's way and not bug him, at least at first. And I also really liked here uh Arthur says like, you know, it's like you never know, he like he might give us a wedgie or something. And Buster's like, what's a wedgie? And he's like, I don't know. And it reminded me of I, I don't know if this is true for your childhood as well, but it's like a lot of the like stereotypical bully stuff I knew from TV more than like actual experience. It was just funny seeing Arthur and Buster's privilege at work here of just like they are bullied at times by like Binky or the tough customers, but like they're more menaced if anything. Like they're never like we never see them get a swirly, we never see them get a wedgie, and like that never happened to me either. But I was always lived in fear of it because like oh like Lance on sticking around like always gives Bradley a wedgie, so I was <laughs> you know. But it it never happened to me because I'm you know I'm a very fortunate and privileged child so as as arthur and buster are so i thought that was a very funny kind of dalliance for them i know i guess it kind of shows that um like all those shows and stuff were written by people who grew up and went to school in the 80s 
You know yeah, what I mean? I yeah. feel like that's all like all of that stuff probably actually was as rampant as it is in TV in the eighties. Uh, but now it's like I wonder like are once the Zoomers are old enough that they're going to be writing TV shows, it's just everybody going to get cyberbullied on TV like nonstop. They probably already are. I don't watch a lot of current kids television. Um, yeah, like, I feel, I'm sure I feel like, like something that's... like Gumball has addressed that a little bit, or like OKKO, OK or uh, uh, yeah, Steven Universe. I couldn't I... tell you though. I feel like we're probably already hitting that at this point. Uh, I really liked this when the Reed family are heading over to the Molinas. Um, like there, there's a whole lot of it's it's a very real moment of like there's a bunch of crosstalk from Arthur and DW. They're both kind of like whining and complaining. Uh, Arthur Arthur has a line here where he's like, "The only people who wear bow ties are nerds and waiters and that science guy on TV." Oh, I didn't catch that. And but and then the mom kind of is just like, "All right, would you stop? We're it's like this is going to be fun, okay?" And she even like has a she has a a thing with dad where she's just like, "If I pull my ear, then the kids are tired and we have to go home right now." And it just yeah, seemed it, it, it seemed like very a, it's, real. It's like the scene from Seinfeld where uh, Jerry and Elaine go to that party and they have like the signal. Um, where if they start patting their head, it's like, okay, come rescue me from this conversation. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just communicates it's very real in a way that we almost don't see the family relationship with Arthur and his, and his parents. But it turns out that like their fears are pretty much unfounded. They get along almost right away. Uh, did you notice um, uh, here, here, especially in this dinner scene, they did this in the last episode we talked about where, you know, they put a bit more clarinet into the background music because it was a binky centric episode. Now with the Molinas, there's a little bit of like pan flute almost or like, Oh, I didn't notice this traditionally more Latin instruments that are put into the tradition into the, uh, classic Arthur tunes. I really, I really liked it. I thought it added a lot. No, I, I must've missed this. This is the things you lose watching this in the common area of the Nova Scotia community college. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and so it turns out Ramon is, I believe he's a, not a caterer, but he's a chef at like a restaurant or he owns, like he owns a restaurant or something like that. And so he and David talk shop a lot about like food and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And... Uh, Arthur's dad is so sort of whatever, what happens here is that everybody becomes kind of smitten with their, well, with the exception of DW. So, uh, Arthur, sort of thinks Alberto's really cool. They bond over Alberto having, like, a bunch of Bionic Buddy stuff. Uh, Arthur's dad is bonding with um, um, their dad over, you know, food. We don't really uh, we don't really get almost anything on the mother. Like, I don't even think she gets a name, which is kind of too bad. Although, uh, Susan pointed out to me that um, uh, her and mom are talking about a glass bird that Mrs. Molina owns, and that's actually a reference to Arthur's Perfect Christmas because... Oh! Uh, our, because mom, because mom is talking about like I had a bird like this, but uh, well, the kid, the kids broke it. Dot dot dot. And so I thought that was very interesting. I also want to put this in here for Susan. She was the one who really came forth with like how Visita. Uh, you you said how like DW is not very smitten with her. In fact, she's nothing like she was expecting because Visita has the utter confidence and positivity of a little girl. And I thought that that was a really cool counter to DW who's often very like sardonic and sarcastic and, you know, bossy and all this kind of stuff. And Visita right away, like makes a beeline for her and is just like, my Visita, I'm three and a half and you're going to be my friend. And so instead of DW teaching her how to play things, like Visita like beats her in all of her games 
And she's just having a great time just being herself. And No, Vasita and Alberto both rule. Like, Vasita rules because she's, like, her character design's adorable, and she's just got that infectious positivity. And then Alberto, like, even though he's a 13-year-old, I'm, like, 24. I'm not supposed to think a 13-year-old's cool. But Alberto does kind of ooze cool the way he keeps his hands in his pockets and his, like, blue crew neck sweater, his, like, sick haircut. Mm. Um, there's just something cool about him. Do you, okay, do you want, do you want me to blow your mind right now? Oh, you hit me with the business. So the voice of Alberto is the voice of Carlos from the Magic School Bus. Whoa. And no one's cooler than Carlos. Absolutely. Carlos, Carlos got jokes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the voice actor. Oh, my gosh. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting their name. But uh, um, they are the, a Canadian actor that we've seen on a bunch of stuff, like probably on, on, a, on a Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, you know, as, as a kid. Uh, got a lot of work, and this was and this was part of it because Arthur does primarily cast a Canadian. Um, his name is sorry, I'm I'm doing the Daniel DeSanto. That's his name, and I believe still acting to some degree. Anyway, uh, I lo- I loved that connection when I found it out. But you're right. Uh, it's like Arthur is dreading going up to Alberto's room because he thinks that it's going to be all uh rock music and posters of girls. But it turns out, yeah, he's a huge Bionic Bunny stan. I mean, who isn't? Uh, <laughs> it's it's no, it's so they they bond over Bionic Bunny. Um, Alberto even goes as far as to give Arthur some Espanol Bionic Bunny comics, um, and sort of DW the tables have turned. DW is eager to leave. Uh, because her expectations were not met, but Arthur is like surprised, and he's sort of. Uh, he thinks like Alberto's the coolest and, and uh, he like compliments Alberto. Alberto's like, thanks, whatever. And then like Arthur's like, oh my gosh, he's so cool. He's not mean though. And I, no, appreciate, no, no, no. I, I appreciated that throughout the episode is that Alberto, you know, is, is a tip, a fairly typical teenage boy. He's kind of like, especially like coming off the nineties, he's like kind of disaffected, playing a cool, but he's, he's nice to Arthur. And in fact, he gives him some of his Spanish bionic bunny comic books and uh, one one of them featuring Tortuga Mala, who is the train that is a the giant tortoise that is a train, which I thought was really cool. Anyway, I I I liked this. Like he he could have been like oh, uh, he like annoyed by Arthur at like one point make fun of him or something. But no, he's he's just a nice older kid. So we get to uh, DW and um, oh my goodness, Visita, uh, Visita. Excuse me, uh, DW and Visita are hanging out. And um, uh, we get this great line from DW where she goes, the secret to a good flip is knowing the right time to start flipping. Uh, but then Visita <laughs> bouncing on the trampoline, like completely schools DW. It's like in Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games when you get like perfect on the mini game and like Waluigi's doing triple backflips. <laughs> um, Arthur gives Alberto a uh, bionic bunny walkie talkie so he could always call him. And then this is where we first get the seeds of like, Oh, I think Arthur might be annoying poor Alberto because Alberto's like, "Oh, cool." Well, well he humors like you, him. Well, like you said, yeah, he's Arthur when he leaves uh their dinner date is very enamored with Alberto, which is which is completely understandable. I was like that with older kids when I was his age too. Uh but yeah, he gives him this bionic bunny uh walkie-talkie and then he keeps calling him because he needs translation uh on the Spanish and it's even for like like what does L mean? 
And it's just like, oh boy. And but Alberto, like again, to his credit, he just kind of suffers him patiently. Uh, he he never really like you know d- dogs on him or anything like that. Um, it's uh, I found this part kind of hard to watch because it's like it's kind of really annoying. Like I understand where Arthur's coming from, but I also really understand where Alberto's coming from, where he's literally trying to do his algebra homework, and Arthur's like asking for a line by line translation. Yeah, um, it's a little cringy, but. Uh, again, but, Alberto lets him off easy. He's not mean about it. But rooted in realism, like I, I saw a lot of myself and Arthur in this episode. I mean, hey, I mean, I mean, go, same go, go, here, go. and that's why it had me cringing. Fair enough. Um, and DW hits her last straw with Visita. She like one of the things is that she wanted to teach Visita all of her games. Uh, so DW wants to teach her Tower of Cows, but then she like goes away for a second, and Visita has successfully stacked all the cows, and. Again, she is like Visita, not trying to be mean or antagonistic. She's just like, uh, "You told me to stack all the cows, so that's what I did." And DW's like, "No, you were supposed to let me teach you how to do it." Like there was a whole order to this that Visita wasn't aware of, but DW had already hyped herself up for. And I think it's a great kind of wrinkle to DW's character. It's just like as soon as she has authority, she has uh, a very specific way she wants things to go, and if they don't, then she's you know it's not going to be happy. Um, there, there's a point where, uh, Arthur hears them having like the Molinas having a barbecue in their backyard. And so he's very excited because he's like, Hey, the Molinas are having a party in their backyard. Uh, we should, are we going to go? And they're just like, no, uh, I think that's just, uh, some of their other friends or something like that. And Arthur's a little, like a little hurt him and his dad. I, I wish we had seen more of, uh, uh, dad Reed being enamored with Ramon as Arthur is with Alberto because like they're both over by the over by the window watching from the fence almost like Homer and Flanders style <laughs> and uh, uh, Arthur's like uh, I wonder if Alberto's showing off his kendo moves and and Dave's like oh, I wonder what kind of seasoning Ramon is using <laughs> and and then mom closes the window it's like oh let's go to the movies let's not be here right now I thought that was great but I wanted to know more about how how cool Dave thinks Ramon is. No, that was awesome. And like even the way like the scene is framed, like how they're like standing next to each other, like gazing at the window, like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, almost mooning over them. Yeah. Uh we we get uh th- this this episode is remarkably like there's not a whole lot of conflict in it. There's a thing here where uh DW says, you know, they didn't invite us probably because you're always bugging Alberto. And Arthur's like, I don't bug him do I? So he's kind of a little gun shy now, but Alberto comes to see him uh, later on and he's like dropping off leftovers. And it turns out that the reeds weren't invited because it was uh, Alberto's family from out of town that they were entertaining, like his grandparents and his cousins. So Arthur, Arthur was a little hurt by that, but then Alberto extends an olive branch uh, by giving him a Spanish English dictionary, which again, it's I think that that's a really classy touch of just like not having Arthur like ha- getting Arthur off his back a little bit, but also doing it in a very nice way. So that like later on, Arthur doesn't know what uh, uh, what is it Conejo Bionico is saying, but uh, he looks in the Spanish English dictionary. Tetengo means I've got you. So I thought that was a really nice touch. And we also get a little bit here where we have a <laughs> Visita is every bit three and a half where she, uh, her, she freaks out 
as they're eating dinner outside of just the peas are touching the potatoes. <laughs> so this reminded me of, I saw a post the other day from some clickbait site about like an adult, like food separator. Like, like it was like, <laughs> Oh, if yeah. you're one of those people that don't like your food touching. Yes. Uh, buy this plastic monstrosity. And it reminded me of, uh, of this. Yes, I saw that thing too, and it's like all multicolored and stuff like that. But then DW immediately springs into action and uh, separates separates the peas from the potatoes and saves her. <laughs> it's very dramatic, and Vasita's like, "How did you know?" And just like, "I've been three and a half once, kid. I, I've seen it. I've seen it all." It's 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 very cute. And then Vasita, I mean, Vasita was always kind of happy to be with DW, but now DW, she. She regards her with the awe that DW was looking for in being an authority figure. So we kind of come full circle on that a little bit. And that's pretty much the end. Oh, oh, excuse me. No, it's not. Um, Because we get one more interaction between Pal and Amigo. Right. And uh, this is actually what ends the episode here. It's um, Amigo teaching Pal how to bark in Spanish and Pal vice versa for Amigo in English. So... uh, uh, wow is the uh, Spanish dog bark. I always love how in different languages they uh, they they translate animal sounds differently. As right, well. right, right. What is there's uh, the French cat one is really weird. It's like oh, it's meow like M I A O U, and then like in Japanese it's nyan, nyan. Uh, yes, nyan. Um, and, but yeah, uh, uh, I, I kind of just say amigo is so cute. Like his big old jowls. <laughs> uh, I just want to shake him. He looks like a he looks like a good boy, and his voice is very reminiscent of like Cheech Marin. It's uh yeah, not, or or George n- Lopez, yeah. It's it's not quite as like you know it's not like Cheech and Chong level of like that level of Spanish accent, but it's I think it's inspired by that a little bit, and I do like how Amigo and Pal are appropriately friends, and I do believe Amigo does return in later episodes, so this isn't the last we'll see of him. And that's pretty much the end. Of, yeah, that's the end of the episode right there. Again, I'm I'm following along with this live. This is uh, I'm surprised I was able to remember as much of my notes as I could. Uh, Lucas, let's turn it back here to the boy who cried comet. Now I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Uh, the boy who cried comet rules. It's sick. Uh, it is uh, a. Tw- it's basically just an Arthur episode that's a Twilight Zone episode, and it's weird and crazy. Um. Like, at one point, like, if you believe the episode, given its own internal logic, you think the world's going to end. And also, it has probably the nuttiest Arthur ending ever. Uh, And it's a Buster episode. Uh, I kind of wish Fern, like, played into it a little bit more. Like, maybe instead of um, Arthur being the one that's, like, bouncing back and forth, or Brain being the one bouncing back and forth with Buster, it would be, like, Fern. I think that'd be a funner, uh, a, a more fun episode combo. But besides that, like... Nonstop thrill ride from uh, the alien zoo dream sequence to uh, Buster's mind being blown, realizing that the earth was about to end. I, I loved the boy who cried Comet. I'm glad you did, and I can definitely see why. I'm not as passionate about it as you are, but I do think there's a lot of good going for it, um, especially kind of talking about it with you here. Uh, it is very imaginative. This is the type of weird Arthur that I've been kind of wanting to be more of a thing. I love the concept of the Buster Zone. Um, and I I think it plays to uh, a side of Buster we don't always see, the more conspiracy theorist 
uh, side of him. And I thought, yeah, it's just, it's a fun little episode. It's not my favorite anything, but um, I did really like the kind of twists and turns that it took. And like, once it all kind of clicked together of like, oh, this is actually an episode of the Buster Zone. It's not like a normal Arthur episode. It ended up making a lot more sense, which I wish I had thought of when I was 11 years old or something. Um, Arthur and Los Vecinos, I said, I mean, I said as much with Susan, and I believe she also echoed the fact that she liked both of these episodes, if I remember correctly. I would go so far as to say, I love Arthur and Los Vecinos. I think it's a terrific episode. Uh, again, I, f- I don't I want to try and not repeat myself in this podcast because, my goodness, there's like 20 plus seasons of the show. But we have said before that one of the when Arthur's at its best, it's when it's representing different walks of life. And I feel like it really did it well here. I love the Molinas. They are not uh, stereotypical or like insulting or even the I, I think the other side of that is if they're just kind of not interesting at the risk of not offending anyone. But instead, they manage to have a light kind of a light touch with how they're represented as uh, Latin American. And, and you, so you get a feel of their culture, but there's, and they're still very interesting characters. Visita's great. Alberto's great. I like what we saw of Ramon. I like Amigo. I wish we had seen more of the mother because she doesn't even get a name, but I hope that we will in later episodes. Um, yeah, and I, I I, also liked how this was a fairly... I mean, Lucas, you talked about how the Boy Who Cried comment is very high stakes. This was very low stakes. There was almost, almost virtually no conflict. It was all about introducing these new characters, but I liked that. I liked when Arthur is a bit quieter, it's a bit more realistic, and it's all about kind of just showing very realistically how a young boy or a young girl in DW's case would act in this kind of a situation. And I, I loved it. I really think this is one of my favorite episodes, not just this season, but maybe of Arthur in general that I've seen. It's when you put it that way, Will, it's interesting. Like, I think these two episodes are exemplary of the things I like about Arthur so much, you know, um, when we first got into this podcast, I talked a lot about how I was excited for the really weird Arthur episodes, like whenever we used to compare things to, uh, to David Lynch or when Arthur gets really strange and out there. And I still love that stuff. And it's, it's, that's the boy who cried comet is a classic case of like weird Arthur. But I think, um, Arthur and Los Vecinos is, uh, uh, a great example of the other, uh, types of Arthur episodes that are the best the show has to offer. Something like Grandpa Dave's uh, Old Country Farm, or yeah. when uh, Arthur could be, you know, a very slice-of-life show, but uh, do it in such a nuanced and and uh, talk about these adult concepts in, in such a subtle way. Um, a big thing that we talked about early in the podcast was talking about how, you know, Arthur's friend group all come from different... Uh, uh, sort of cultural and economic backgrounds. And it's not really something that's like super focused on. There'll be an episode here and there about how like brain celebrates Kwanzaa, but you know, Buster just lives in an apartment building with his secret mom, his uh, single mom and, and uh, uh, Francine and his, her sister share a room. And this is something that's never like really beaten over the head. Uh, but it's just a part of the show. And it's like, well, that's because it's a part of kids' lives. Like, that's reality is that people come from different economic backgrounds. And it's something I've always prided this show on. And I think Arthur and Los Vecinos is sort of exemplary of uh, that aspect of Arthur and how it's so good at tackling things like cultural differences or 
you know, uh, just like the experience of being a kid and, and having someone else be different or from a different culture or from a different academic background and how normal that is. And, and uh, it's it's not even the crux of this episode is that their cultural background is different. It's more so that their age is different or uh, in DW's case that she, uh, uh, she expects one thing and gets something else. So the fact that it's it's done so well and, um, you know, so nuanced again, I think... Both of these episodes together are uh, just examples of my favorite stuff of Arthur. Uh, the really well done slice of life stuff that is is just so unique for kids TV. And then the really weird stuff that I just am delighted by and find so entertaining. I think that's a really great point, Lucas. And that also, that kind of makes me think, like, in that sense, I feel like you could probably put up this episode as, like, one of the, like, the Ep- the episodes to watch if you if you've never seen Arthur before like the, the as a exe- pairing definitely like this is like a one two punch like it's as if like Grandpa Dave's country farm uh was matched with like uh uh the one where the snowball goes missing like it's that level of mm-hmm. of you must watch I think that would be a very interesting uh filibuster for us to do on Patreon sometime is for us to do a list of our top five essential Arthur episodes like the episodes that uh both like with both stories in them like which ones are the ones that if you were showing it to somebody who had never seen Arthur before who knows nothing about the show what would you say represents it best and I'd say this is probably in the running for one of them I think that's an interesting thought experiment that I'd uh, like us to go down sometime so maybe look out for that sooner rather than later I don't know uh, but yes, I agree. This was this was a, a tremendous episode, and uh, glad glad to be, glad to be here. And I dare say that's uh, Los Vecinos as a front runner for me. But we'll have to wait and see as we run along through season six here. Uh, Lucas, we wish you nothing but the best in terms of your uh, your school schedule. I know that this is probably a very busy time of year, oh and it gosh. will only it's continue so, to, to it's ramp up. So crazy! I have my sister's birthday tonight. Uh, and that's going to be a small reprise from, uh, you know, uh, nonstop schoolwork basically this week. I'm not sure how I'm going to get it all done, but it has to get done. So wish me luck. Yeah, we'll you'll you will you will. I I, <laughs> I we believe in you, and you, you can you can do it. Hey, if you want to send uh, Lucas some encouragement for his uh, continued studies. Uh, you can uh, follow him on Twitter. Where are you on Twitter, Lucas? Oh yes. Uh, so right now I have a a uh, locked Twitter account. Uh, but I will. I I usually accept all requests. It's just because I'm about to be on the job hunt, and I know I don't say anything particularly spicy, but my tweets are pretty weird. So uh, <laughs> that's why it's locked. But I accept all followers. Uh, it's at Lucas underscore Mancini, aka the Dartmouth Daimyo. So at Lucas underscore Mancini is the at. I would love. Uh, to see you guys on Twitter and and hey, email the pod. I want to know what you thought of the, uh, the, the 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 Detective Pikachu trailer. We got to keep this Detective Pikachu discourse uh, discourse coming uh, until me and Will eventually go see the movie. Big time. And of course, if you are a patron, uh, go on over to that Discord. Let's get let's get some chat going on here. Uh, and we and we'll uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you want to follow me on Twitter. I also have a private account, uh, just to kind of keep it, keep it, uh, keep it on the low key. But hey, I would always be willing to welcome in a listener of the show. I am at, uh, I'll spell it. It's it's it says William Y, but it's W I L L Y U M 
W-H-Y, and my Twitter name is Gravy Smith right now. So you can look out for that. Feel free to follow us, and of course, uh, follow us and uh, uh, show us some love on all of our social media platforms. Uh, Coming up next time on Elwood City Limits, we're about, I think we're about at the halfway point of Season 6, or at least very close to there. And next time we'll be talking about Citizen Frensky and DW's Backpack Mishap. Is like is 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 Francine gonna like destroy a room? Oh man, I I hope there's a reference to that. Like I would re- I would really love it. Like one of the greatest room destroying scenes like of all time. It, that's like this is a very Lucas and Will thing, but like more so than other people. Like there's so much to talk about when it comes to Citizen Kane. Like the the, the big cultural touchstones are like Rosebud and and like other stuff. Me and you always just talk about him messing up that room. Well, because it's just this old man <laughs> stiff-arming things, and it's just, like, it's so great. Go on YouTube and look oh up the God. Citizen Kane, like, room-destroying scene. It's tre- tremendous. I would I would hope so, even outside of context. I should watch I should watch that again, actually. I'll, uh, I'll need to bring that up very soon. All right, so we hope to be uh, uh, right, back, right back at you sooner rather than later. And, of course, if you want to never be interrupted in your uh, weekly dose of Elwood City Limits, there is that Patreon as well. And I'll stop talking about it for at least another week. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Call the veteran. I might need a rabbit shot. We will see you next time.